This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. My name is Raheem Kassam, filling in for Buck this Thursday, the 27th of December, 2018. The phone lines are open here in the Freedom Hut. The phone number is one 900 buck That's one 900 2825 We've got a great show for you this evening, and I want you to be a part of it. Whatever you have to say, whether it's about the government continuing its partial shutdown, who's at fault, whether you're from the left, the right, the middle, the moon, I want to hear from you guys and gals today. Um, we've got a lot of subjects to cover over the course of the next couple of hours, so stick with us. Uh, but I wanted to start with uh, with this over the last day or so. Just when you thought the fake news media could not get any worse, we find ourselves subjected to another dog and pony show from CNN and NBC News this Christmas week. I want to quote the Washington Post of all places for you uh, right now. The Post published an article today by their media critic, Eric Wemple, saying there were merely seven hours and 47 minutes left of Christmas Day when NBC News published this story. The headline, Trump becomes first president since 2002 not to visit troops at Christmas time. But even for the even the Washington Post, not exactly noted for its Trump friendliness, even they are calling out NBC for not just publishing demonstrably fake news, but also for sticking to their story. They are standing by that story as if the president of the United States hadn't left the White House at all this week. Well, we know he did, of course, not just because of the address in Iraq itself, nor the stopover in Germany, but also because Air Force One operating under a covert call sign was actually physically spotted uh, in the air above Sheffield in the United Kingdom by some amateur plane enthusiasts. Yes, obviously the president did visit Iraq, Uh, unless there's some major conspiracy whereby he really did all of that from the basement of the White House. Maybe MSNBC, maybe NBC will be telling us that um, the shadows in the videos don't line up quite right, or the flag was waving incorrectly. Maybe they're Iraq visit truthers, Iraq landing conspiracy theorists. Maybe Lee Harvey Oswald acting in concert with President Trump shot John F. Kennedy. Maybe. What we do know, however is NBC hasn't apologized, nor really retracted its grotesque fake news story. Oh, they put a little disclaimer on it. Something, something, surprise visit, not our fault, don't shoot the messenger. But the damage, the intentional damage, I'll remind you, was already done. The damage was supposed to be incurred by President Trump and his administration, as so many news stories are fashioned to do nowadays. Instead, 
it backfired, leaving yet another mess for the media and specifically for NBC. You see, trust in the media has been declining for some time now. Gallup, the polling organization, found that between 2003 and 2016, the percentage of Americans who said they have a great deal or fair amount of trust in the media fell from 54 to 32%. 69% of adults in the current survey say their trust in the news media has decreased in the past decade. Just 4% say their trust has increased. And this week's incident muddies those already murky waters further. While few were to know that Air Force One would take off in the dead of night from Joint Base Andrews, MS, uh, I keep saying MSNBC, NBC appeared so eager to criticize this president, getting one more dig in at him over the Christmas period, that they couldn't even wait until Christmas was well and truly over to take their shot. Well... They missed. Again, even the Washington Post concurs at the end of the analysis piece on the subject today. Author and media critic Eric Wemple concludes, quote, Correct the piece, NBC News, or prepare to stand legitimately accused of propagating fake news. And NBC weren't the only ones this week to humiliate themselves over the president's Iraq visit. I want you to listen to the following CNN commentators. I'm sorry I'm subjecting you to this. The infamous Jim Acosta included. Their reactions and talking points over the visit to U.S. soldiers is really quite something to behold. Let's play that clip. Uh, Is that unusual to see the president doing that on base uh, does this run the risk of the president, you know, facing some accusations that he's turning some of this into a campaign stop? What do you think? Well, you know, this is very interesting. The pool reporters traveling said that the troops brought the hats with them, including one hat that said Trump 2020. We will have to see if that actually proves to be the case. The question is, if they if they brought them or if the president brought them. What commander allowed that to really happen? Because this is very much against military policy and regulation. Troops are not supposed to be involved in political activities. The U.S. military is not a political force. And there's no question uh, the saying Trump 2020 and make America great again. Those are political slogans of a Trump campaign. They are not governmental uh sayings to put to say the least right and and john i mean what would the concern be if something like that is going on do you think or is this just you know a soldier is there he's got a hat in his in his locker and he runs over and says hey when am i going to have another chance for the president to sign one of these things yeah look i mean it kind of blurs the line because the the trump is his slogan and where's that where's that you know where's that line but barb's right it is in fact a campaign slogan that is a campaign item and it's completely inappropriate for the troops to do not this. supposed to do it not supposed to do this and i'm sure that their bosses seeing that they're they're not going to be happy about it but look the president has to take some ownership of this too every time he's around military audiences he tends to politicize it and he brings in complaints and grievances from outside the realm of military policy this was wrong for him to do it as well i'm going to be really interested to see jim when we get video of his comments to the troops his actual speech al-assad and i hope that he didn't politicize that those sets of remarks but we'll have to wait and see we're gonna have to wait and see 
Which commander allowed that to happen? The military is not a political force. It was inappropriate. The bosses won't be happy. Trump has to take ownership over it. Listen to the stretch in their voices. Much better if you can go and watch that online. They are at such great pains. They know they're going to ridiculous lengths to implicate this president in something, anything. Even something as innocuous as signing baseball caps. Well, let the impeachment proceedings begin. Surely this is the gravest deception ever foist upon the American people. Some soldiers wanted their commander-in-chief's autograph and posed happily with Make America Great Again caps. The horror of it all. Meanwhile, on the southern border, of course, no one really cares about the waves of mass illegal immigration coming into the United States. Well, unless it's a, a, a migrant child that's suffering, of course, then, then they're all down there with their cameras and their crews and the crocodile tears. We've seen it in Europe before, of course, during the migrant crisis of 2015. Is it really any wonder, I ask you, that we across the Western world have so little faith in our media overlords now? Can it really be that surprising to the one-time masters of the universe at this point that they have sufficiently abused the trust of the public to the extent that many are just switching off completely? I, for one, as somebody who regards journalism as a noble profession stacked with ignoble operators, have lost all sympathy for these people. MS, MSNBC, sure. NBC, CNN. To quote the President of the United States, you are fake news. The lines are open here. 1-844-900-BUCK. 1-844-900-2825. Going to go to a quick break now. When we come back, more of your calls. And we've got some great guests for you here on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam filling in for Buck Sexton from the Freedom Hut here in Washington, D.C. The phone lines are open, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. I want to go to the phone lines now. Let's go to uh, Charlie from Ocean City, Maryland. Charlie, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you, mate. I How are you doing? I appreciate you taking my call. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'm a little older citizen, and I've been listening to all this talk about building the wall and it's very simple back in the 60s i was in the cbs and i spent a couple years in nam we built everything Mm -hmm. and we have a wall in dc it's the vietnam memorial affectionately called the wall Mm. now we can put a wall in our border with the cbs it's all military. It will be covered by military expense. The only problem is the CBs cannot build in the United States unless it's specified as training exercise. Could it be specified as a training exercise? Sure it could be. You're teaching the CBs how to build a wall. It <laughs> sounds like a great <laughs> idea to me. What do you think what do you think the calculation is behind not going that route just yet? Well, I think I think the president and his staff is looking for other means how to fund us because they have contractors in mind who developed the prototypes and knowing this building president because he built all of his life he can get this wall for much less 
than what is publicly stated. Hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Charlie, we're going to put that question to our next guest. Thank you so much for the call. Uh, we have Colonel Rob Manus uh, joining us now on the uh, on the line, a, uh, a 32-year uh, combat veteran in the Air Force, a B-Wing squadron commander. Uh, Colonel Rob Manus, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Raheem. Uh, appreciate you having me on. And, and just correct me if I'm wrong, you also have a new show, is that right? I do, on the Blaze TV, the Rob Mana Show. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Rob Mana Show, uh, or if you just follow me on Twitter at Rob Manus, uh, you can uh, pick up the uh, website. That's M-A-N-E-S-S. Um, Rob, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to get Charlie in there first. What do you think of that idea? Is that feasible, having, having the military build a wall? Oh, sure, it's feasible. Uh, we do all kinds of things and call them training exercises in order to uh, not just to, to do them, but to get value out of doing them. For instance, uh, doing a flyover uh, using military aircraft at a NASCAR race or a football game uh, costs a lot of taxpayers' dollars, uh, but the air crews getting and the maintenance personnel are getting training out of that. So absolutely, uh, we could do that. Uh, the uh, the question is, do we use the CBs? Do we use the civil engineers in the, uh, in the Air Force, the Red Horse uh, uh, folks who are who are deployable, uh, or use them all and, and call it all one big training exercise. Uh, but it's absolutely possible and feasible to do that. So in the first part of this show, um, Rob, I talked about the um, the visit to Iraq and the uh, media's heads blowing up. Of course, NBC accused the president of not having gone at all. They're now Iraq visit truthers. Um, then you also had uh, CNN uh, talking about this this massive, massive scandal that is surely going to bring the government down of President Trump signing a baseball cap. I mean, as as somebody who has spent uh, the the dominant part of their adult life in the military, how does it make you feel to hear uh, uh, the, the military being politicized by the media in that sense? And and is is there really? Any any smoking gun when it comes to the president signing a baseball cap? I mean, this was ludicrous, isn't it? I mean, two days' worth of commentary about it. Oh, absolutely. Not just that, but uh, my buddy, uh, U.S. Army retired Colonel uh, Kurt Slichter and I are both being trolled by, uh, by CNN's paid uh, uh, hack on this issue, retired General Mark Hurdling. Uh, and uh, he's been going back and forth with us uh, pretty much since last night about this, and and uh, tries to say that that it's a political, partisan political activity, and because they were in uniform, uh, it's illegal. I mean, he sent me copies of the regulation. I've had to cut pieces out and show it to him. You know, uh, uh, I'm very surprised that uh, that he's doing this. Other than I know he's a political hack for <laughs> CNN, and he's paid by CNN, and that's what CNN wants to do. But the not funny part of it is, mm. is they're attacking the troops that are in combat on the ground uh, in Iraq, uh, for asking the president of the United States to autograph some items. You know, he happens to have the MAGA hat. Uh, none of that is partisan. Uh, and they have to be in uniform because they're in a combat zone, and he's the commander-in-chief. Uh, and if they want him to sign something, that's fine. Look, Barack Obama and Vice President Biden both visited my last base that I commanded the base on um, in the, out in New Mexico, uh, that uh, uh, and we had we had the troops and civilians there, uh, government civilians, people from the base, uh, meet the airplane because they want they want to meet the president and vice mm. president of the United States. Uh, they're not partisan people. 
uh, and they'd hand them all kinds of things to get signed. And I really didn't pay any attention to what they were handing them to get signed because I didn't care. I'm not going to attack the troops and, and deplete their morale by, by making it a political issue when it's not. It's a, it's the commander-in-chief visiting your base. Uh, well, that was even Barack Obama on the way to an off-base political event, you know. Uh, so it's just crazy. And but C- but and CNN really is telling us... CNN is telling us that the, the commander is going to be very upset and the bosses are not going to be happy and there's going to be hell to pay for this. The, the reality is nobody's going to care, right? Nobody cares outside of that CNN studio. No, nobody cares, and they're actually lying. Uh, and General Hurdling is, is abusing the facts from the ethics regulation that he himself sent me the link to this morning, and I had to cut out the part uh, that talks about they're prohibited from partisan political activities and engaging in that and, and attending political events as a spectator uh, if they're in uniform. Uh, when they're not in uniform, they can do whatever they want, but that's not what the case is here. The case is the commander-in-chief visiting combat forces. They happen to have some items that they wanted him to get signed, and that's fine, and none of it was partisan. Those items aren't even partisan. There's nothing about political parties even on those items that they got signed by the guy. I think it's ridiculous, and, and they owe an apology to the American forces in Iraq. You know, it really does make me sad to see things like that happening because we've seen uh, that sort of attack on, on national morale is what it really is. It's not just even about the troops' morale. So the troops' yeah. morale reflects national morale as well, and, and, and they both play an integral part together. It's, 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 it's a lattice. They overlap. And, and to attack national morale at Christmas, no less, when the president is, as you say, in a combat zone, visiting the troops, which is what they were complaining that he hadn't done. He was ticking their boxes, and and, and this is what happens. Colonel Rob Maynus, we've got to leave it there because we're up against a hard break, but I thank you so much for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show. You can catch Rob's work at robmaness, M-A-N-E-S-S dot com. Stay on the lines. We'll be right back for more callers after this break. Welcome back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Raheem Kassam filling in for Buck today, live from the Freedom Hut. I have invaded the Freedom Hut here in Washington, D.C. The phone lines are open, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. You know, I used to host a show over on a, another another network, and, and, and the callers were the most important part of the show for me. I, I really... I really don't care what I have to say so much, which is strange for somebody hosting a radio show. I am really much more interested in in what you guys have to say. But if you are interested in the long term, uh, or the medium term, if you choose to unfollow me, in what I have to say, you can find me on all the social medias as well. Um, Twitter, at Raheem Kassam. It's R-A-H-E-E-M-K-A-S-S-A-M. Same on Facebook and Instagram and all all of those YouTube, you name it. Um, I'm on there quite a lot, probably a little too much. Um, I want to go back to the calls now. Um, line one, Larry is in Ohio. Mr. Larry, are you there? Yes, uh, regime. I hope I pronounced your name right. Yeah, absolutely. Take... Go right ahead, Larry. Hello. Are you there? Yeah, can you hear us? We can yeah. hear you just fine. Go right ahead with your point. Okay. I <clears throat> They've been talking about this uh, wall issue as a stall in the uh, government shutdown. I have a radical idea. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, 
have the ambassador of the United States meet with the ambassador of Mexico and propose to them a radical idea of having Mexico vote, their people vote, on joining the United States as an annexion to New Mexico. We'll take that $25 billion for the wall and improve their infrastructure and ours and send enough FBI, CIA, whatever, do away with the cartel and raise their standard of living much higher than it is now. Well, I did not expect that. A democratic annexation of Mexico as a means by which to, to, to stop mass, mass illegal immigration. But don't you think if you were to do that, I mean, you'd cre- if they were to actually go ahead and do something like that, you'd be creating millions of more American citizens. You don't think they'd just flood into the rest of the U.S. while their infrastructure is being improved? I mean, I know we're talking theor- theoretically here. Continues building cars in Mexico, and large companies in the United States continue doing business in Mexico. They will be paid the same as American workers. Uh, I think. I think. I think you'd have to have a referendum within the United States as well on that. Uh, I'm not sure that there'd be a great, uh, a great taste for, for, for Mexico joining the U.S., Larry, but I appreciate the radical thinking, Larry, from Ohio there. Phone lines are open, ladies and gentlemen, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Uh, we, have, um, we have Dana from Lake City in Florida. Dana, good afternoon, good evening. Hey, how are you? Thank you for taking my call. Hey, my pleasure. Go right ahead. Yeah, I'm. Uh, my my concern is with the president, and you know we have heard about fake news for a while. Well, mm. we were all just duped in the idea that he said, you know, oh, I'm not going to go to Mar-a-Lago. I'm going to stay in the White House while the government shuts down. He even tweeted, "Poor me." And realistically, <laughs> this trip to Iraq had been planned for six weeks in advance. And I feel like we were just duped. We were supposed to feel sorry for his actions when all the time there's a whole other scenario going on behind the scenes, you know? Well, do you think that was, a, do you think that was him fooling or, or part of security protocol to make sure that, you know, the trip wasn't leaked? The, the White House, for better or worse, is a leaky place. Um, that was his safeguard against the, the trip leaking out, no? Uh, that would be one way to look at it, um, I suppose. Um, you don't like it. You don't sound like you enjoyed that. But did you feel empathy or sympathy for him when you read that? Poor me, I'm in the White House all alone this Christmas. Is that why you feel a bit duped now? <laughs> no, to be honest with you, no. Uh, I didn't feel any sympathy. I don't feel any sympathy for him at all, frankly. Um, I, I would prefer a president with much more dignity and class. Um, but we That's... have what we have, and that's what we're dealing with. That's an interesting point. Now, you can probably tell that I am a big fan of this president, 
Um, and I and I regard myself as a as, as quite a dignified person, and I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are also dignified and regard themselves as such, but that that do like this president. Do, do you can you not see their their point? The sort of Andrew Jackson esque brusqueness of this president may be the only way they feel that they can get anything done. Um, it would be nice if that were a fact, but you know. In the case of Andrew Jackson, he had a history of working towards certain goals. Donald Trump's goals have been to take advantage of real estate options, and realistically, there isn't a bank in this country that will loan him a dollar. So that's why he's been learning learning towards the Russians in order to, you know, increase his bank stake. Um, well, I don't, I don't, I don't think that um, I don't think there's an, not a bank in this country that would lend him a dollar. But I appreciate the fact that. When you when you have been a, a, in real estate for a long time and some projects succeed and some projects fail, sure, it makes you a, a riskier investment. But you don't believe that he has any tangible policy goals? I mean, there's been sweeping change to the federal court system under, under him so far. There have been policies that have been enacted. Are those accidents? Well, no. The only thing that, truthfully, he's done since being voted in, the Republican Party, the Republican Party has taken the lead and, and moved things forward. He is just a figurehead, if you will, um, a blowhard, in my opinion. <laughs> and, and realistically, he has done nothing but create controversy. Um, the Republicans are the ones running the show. Now, Dana, can I ask, um, if you, and you don't have to answer this, but can I ask, do you typically vote Republican or Democrat? So are you... Are you... Go ahead. Well, anyway, let me finish one second. Well, the only thing he's really done is remove everything that Obama had initially put in, mm-hmm. and everyone thinks, oh, we're saving money because we've taken away regulations. Well, you know, we'll, we'll pay with dirty water and dirty other things as the environment shows us in time. But, you know, that's just my opinion. I was and- more concerned, realistically, with, with the fact that we were duped, and, and he's sitting there saying, oh, poor me, I'm not taking my <laughs> vacation and and then we get to see that uh, realistically he's all oh we were on a plane with all the shades down and it was dark and I was scared. <laughs> well, Dana, thank you very much for your input and your call this evening here on the Buck Sexton Show. I'm very sorry uh, that Dana felt duped. I wonder how you guys feel about that. I certainly took that tweet um, with uh, a sort of tongue in cheek, uh, you know, poor me in brackets. The president tweeted a couple of days ago about being uh, being in the White House during the government shutdown. And, and he said it was the only one in there. Obviously, he wasn't the only one in the entire White House complex um, over Christmas. So I, I think that was a little bit playful. I'm not sure we should feel duped by it. But I, uh, I appreciate the, the tone and the ability to have that discussion. And Dana was very polite. But, uh, but but also forthright, and I think those are the sorts of discussions we need to be able to have and to laugh at each other's jokes and uh, and not resort to screaming and tearing our hair out all the time. Um, 844-900-BUCK is the number if you want to be part of that conversation. I also wanted to make mention uh, very briefly of this, because uh, I, I lauded the Washington Post's media correspondent in the opening part of this show, Eric Wemple, who, uh, who had a bit of a go at NBC for what he called, uh, and what I called, um, their uh, opportunistic fake news attempt to portray Trump as not caring uh, about the troops this Christmas. Um, this morning, so so let me retract some of that uh, praise for the Washington Post, because this morning they published a story, and I'm recalling this off the top of my head, so it's not going to be verbatim the headline. Um, they published a story that said something like, uh, 
Trump, without evidence, suggests that the furloughed workers in Washington, D.C. are Democrats. Now, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that the majority of those federal workers are Democrats. Um, there was a study done after the uh, um, 2016 general presidential election here uh, by the Hill newspaper. A, a, an actual good journalist called Jonathan Swan, who's now over at Axios, um, he wrote an article entitled Government Workers Shun Trump Give Big Money to Clinton. And they reported at the time that of the roughly $2 million that federal workers from 14 agencies spent on presidential politics by the end of September, around $1.9 million, or 95%, went to the Democratic nominees' campaign. That was the Hill.com's uh, analysis. And, and you go through the list um, of these, uh, of these uh, donations by agency. Agriculture. My eyes are kind of failing me here. It's a small chart I'm looking at. Agriculture, 99.4% went to Clinton. Commerce, 99.2%. Defense, 84%. Education, 99.7%. And it goes on and on and on. So I don't think it's fair uh, for the Washington Post to say Trump without evidence um, complains or suggests that... uh, these uh, furloughed workers are Democrats. The, there is manifest evidence that, that that is the case. That is in print, in writing. And I noted that later on in the day, actually after I had tweeted this Hill analysis from 2016, later on in the day, the Washington Post mentioned that at the bottom of the article in a second article that they ran on the story. So I wonder I wonder if there was some sort of mere culpas going on at the Washington Post for attacking the president in the morning for that suggestion. Just saying. That's that's all. Hey, let's uh let's take a quick break now because when we come back, um we're going to have uh, another good buddy of mine. He's uh, he's called Gil Barn Dollar. He's at the uh, Center for the National Interest, uh which is I think the first foreign policy think tank that President Trump, when he was candidate Trump, gave a foreign policy speech to. And we want to get into the Syria discussion because I've heard so much alarmism on Syria in the last couple of days. And for those of you that don't know me, I have a history in foreign policy. I have I have spent time at foreign policy think tanks, um, the Henry Jackson Society, which was a neoconservative think tank for my sins. Um, a good, a good old, uh, good old decade ago now. Uh, we'll talk to, uh, we'll talk to Gil uh, in a moment about that. So, quick break now. Uh, don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Raheem Kassam here in the Freedom Hut in Washington D.C. Want to get straight to our next guest. Gil Barndoller is the uh, director of Middle East Studies at the Center for the National Interest. Gil, thank you for joining us here this evening. Hey, Raheem, how are you? Uh, very well. We don't have much time because I ran late in that segment. So I want in the last segment. So I just want to throw it straight over to you and get all your thoughts, if possible, over the next five minutes or so on the withdrawal in Syria. Over to you, Gil. Sure. Well, I, on balance, I think it's I think it's a good thing. Um, you know, there's been predictable hysteria across across pretty much the media, regardless of of partisan affiliation. Uh, from you know the theoretically the leading foreign policy lights in both parties, uh, the think tank world, the rest of the kind of 
foreign policy establishment almost, you know, this this in in this day and age is kind of bizarre unanimity that you you very very rarely see in Washington uh, these days mm. on the uh, the supposed folly of of the the Syria pullout. So we can you know we can talk if you like about the the specifics and how the decision was arrived at. I think that's largely speculative. Um, you know, you can go on some reporting and, and speculate about that. But in terms of the merits of of pulling out of a you know essentially a punitive expedition, I hope. Um, in Syria, that that uh, had had mostly run its course, and uh, never mind the illegality and unconstitutionality of of, of that war. Uh, I mean, I'm in favor of the substance of what we're doing. Well, so let me ask you then about the 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 the, the, the alarmism behind a lot of the the critique of this. That that if we have no 2,200 American troops in Syria, uh, that Iran will uh, take over the entire region. Turkey will establish. A new caliphate. Uh, Russia will become the world's greatest superpower ever. I mean, these are the things we're being. I mean, obviously embellishing, but these are the things we're sort of being led down the path to believe. What say you to those uh, criticisms? Yeah, of course. I mean, that, that stuff's absurd, and, and as you said, you can't really you can't have all those things at once. Um, if I had to pick a favorite, there was a I think it was Dana Milbank. There was a piece in the Post that that disproved that Russia had won. Had won World War Three, I think was the phrasing, which is which oh. probably takes the cake for the most absurd and hysterical reaction. Um, but no, you know, Syria was never a core national security interest of the United States. We dealt just fine with with Bashar al-Assad and with his father when they were both in power. And now, supposedly, it's it's unconscionable that he's going to remain in power and has, has effectively won that civil war uh, with some mopping up to do. Um, you know, the fact that there that there are a few thousand ISIS holdouts. Uh, scattered throughout both Iraq and Syria is is, is something we supposedly can't uh, can't survive. Mm. Um, I, I don't think anyone can credibly claim that's an existential threat to the United States, uh, or even at this stage, even a serious threat to the Iraqi or Syrian regimes. Um, but you know, I, I, we can talk the ISIS piece, we can talk the other powers in the region, but but um, Iran is not is not a serious threat to the United States. It's it's a somewhat serious threat to, to Israel, but the Israelis can take care of themselves just fine. I don't think we need to worry too much on that score. Um, the Turks, I'm sure, will bite off some chunks of, of northern Syria, where it looks like will probably happen. Um, and and, and uh, the Russians have, have renewed uh, renewed interest and, and, and renewed weight in the region, but that's that's developed over uh, through a few things, not, not least of which is their successful and pretty limited military intervention in Syria. Gil, I've got about 30 seconds here. Um, do we owe the Kurds anything? Because that's what we keep hearing at the moment. Well, the, Kur- the Kurds aren't dummies. I mean, I've, I've written this, and it's so funny of other people. The, the Kurds have been, uh, you know, we've, we've given them some support, and they've, they've taken it, and they've run with it, and they've, and they've protected their own interests. Uh, but you hear that line a lot, and I will yeah. tell you that the um, – you have a still got you here? That's that's the music, yeah. Gil. We're going to have to leave it there, but I thank All you right. for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show. That's Gil Bondola. Check his work over at the Center for the National Interest. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Raheem Kassam will be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. My name is Raheem Kassam, filling in for Buck today, live from the Freedom Hut here in an increasingly cold Washington, D.C. So much so that I... Uh, I recently ordered thermals. I've never owned thermals before, and I'm quite excited about them coming. So there you go. There was something about me <laughs> that you don't know and probably didn't care to know. 
Um, the phone lines here are open. We uh, we do appreciate all your calls. I'm going to try and get to as many callers as possible this evening because that is my favorite part of the show. The number is 844-900-2825. That's 844-900-BUCK. But first, I wanted to bring you an interesting story that I don't think got enough pickup. Um, uh, a good friend of mine uh, broke this story about a week ago. Um, it's about... The Nation of Islam. Uh, Alana Goodman from the, well, newly from the Washington Examiner, uh, formerly of the Daily Mail and prior to that the Washington Free Beacon, but now at the Washington Examiner, joins us on the line now. Alana, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me on, Raheem. I know, I know you've got drinks to get back to, Alana, so I, I won't tr- I won't keep you that long. But I just thought this that uh, you do. You've, you've always got Alana is the girl who, no matter where you see her, she's always got a martini with three olives in her hand. I mean, she could be she could be at the metro waiting for the train, and she'll have a martini glass in her hand. Isn't that right? Is that I, an accurate depiction? I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> Alana, you broke a really important story uh, last week about the Nation of Islam, and I want to make sure everybody. Uh, knew about this. The headline, Nation of Islam Receiving Federal Cash to Teach Prisoners. Talk us through this a little bit. Yeah, so the Nation of Islam has received about $360,000 from the U.S. government, this is through the Bureau of Prisons, um, to teach their philosophy to prison inmates. And, uh, you know, this has been going on since 2008. And, you know, as your listeners probably know, the Nation of Islam run by Louis Farrakhan, who has referred to Jews as termites recently, um, is a, you know, it's a, it's a fundamentally anti-white, anti-Semitic organization. And, uh, you know, this group is getting funding, not just for, you know, different program, programming that they do, but actually to, like to teach people in federal prisons about their philosophy. Yeah, this is an organization that has has called white people blue-eyed devils and and suggested that Jews are the synagogue of Satan. Um, how yeah. did the how did the um, Bureau of Prisons explain handing them three hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars in contracts? Well, they actually haven't really explained it yet. Oh, I'm sure. um, I I reached out to them for comment for the story and gave them you know, several days to get back to us. Mm. And uh, in the end, they just sent me pretty much the code, um, the U.S. code that says that they're able to pay contractors. Um, and that was it. So we really haven't heard much from them. They said that they don't keep their contracts for longer than six years. And because the original contract in this case um, was more than six years ago, they're not able to provide any more information about, for example, like what the Nation of Islam was teaching these inmates, what materials were being used, um, wow. you know, what, what reading, what books, anything like that. And, and look, this is an organization that a lot of their literature is blatantly anti-Semitic. Um, you know, one of, one of their most popular books is called The Secret History Between Blacks and Jews, which claims that, you know, Jews were orchestrated the transatlantic uh, slave trade. So this is, uh, you know, it's very concerning about what they were teaching. Well, deeply, and and you'd think more so because of the recent controversy surrounding the Women's March and uh, Linda Sarsour and the the relationships that uh, many of those people have had with Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. I mean, for the U, I mean, let's let's be clear about this. This isn't U.S. government money. 
This is taxpayer money. This is ordinary people's cash going to an organization like this. Um, I'm, 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 I suppose I, I was going to say I'm shocked, but really, uh, I suppose we shouldn't be that shocked by it. But is there, is, is there any? Look, I, I would also add, I mean, beyond just the taxpayer money issue, which obviously, you know, is, is, is very concerning on a public level. Um, Congressman Peter King from New York, who I spoke to about this, also mm. raised the point of um, radicalization in prison. I mean, radicalization right. has been a big issue. Uh, there was a Senate report, I believe it was in 2010, that found that dozens of um, dozens of inmates who had been converted to Islam in prison and been radicalized had uh, gone to Yemen and were believed to be trained in al-Qaeda camps. So mm. this is a, a big issue. And, um, you know, he, he thought that that was something that we needed to look into more because, um, you know, as, as he told me, look, like when it, he, he believes there should be vetting for people who are, um, you know, religious leaders in prisons. And as he said, like the vetting should stop when you learn that it's Louis Farrakhan's group. Like that should be the end of the vetting. <laughs> that right. should just be, look, we're not, we're not, we're not paying you to come in and we're not giving you money to teach these prisoners. So. Well, I think it's increasingly it's increasingly disgraceful that the, the U.S. Bureau of Prisons don't want to, or say they can't, uh, disclose more to do with the original contract there. I think that's that's BS for a start. Um, and then and then you wonder what other sorts of groups have been getting this cash over, over the last decade or so. I mean, this started when? Yeah. In two, 2008? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and that was something, you know, you mentioned to me, which I think is great, a great idea to look into... Who else is getting funding? Um, the issue is that this stuff is not posted. I mean, it is it is posted publicly, um, but it's difficult to find out like who all of the contractors who one specific agency has paid. Right. Um, and I, and I want to mention also that the Bureau of Prison is under the Department of Justice. So these were, at the end of the day, Department of, of Justice contracts. It's extraordinary stuff. Alana, uh, just tell the audience where they can follow more of your work and, and your tweets and so on and so forth. Well, you can read me at the Washington Examiner, and I'm on Twitter at Alana Goodman. There it is. All right, Alana, back to your martini. Have one for me, since I'll be stuck in this studio for another two hours at least. But I am just—I am literally just down the road from our favorite watering hole, so I may stop in later for a, for a post-show celebration. Alana Goodman, there. Thank you once again for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show. Thanks a lot. Phone number here is 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. If you're wondering why Buck has an English accent today, that's because I'm not Buck. Uh, my name's Raheem Kassam. I fill in occasionally for Buck. You might have heard me on here before. Um, you can uh, you can find me on the social media and all that as well. I believe you have a, 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 another guest host tomorrow, if I'm not incorrect, in the form of my good buddy Harlan Hill, unless, unless something has drastically changed. Mr. Producer, is that correct? I'm saying the right thing. Okay, good. I like saying the right thing. Yeah, Harlan Hill is a is a is a fantastic chap as well. So make sure you check out the show tomorrow. It, well, obviously, it's not going to be as good as this one. You know, Harlan doesn't have the accent, but uh, but he'll you're in, you're in good hands with Harlan. I wanna I wanna see if uh, we have any other uh, callers on the line. Let's go to uh, let's go to Kenny in Boston. Kenny on line two. Are you there? Hi. How are you doing? Uh, I'm I very well. How are you? Business. I just wanted to call to disagree with that previous caller who spoke about uh, being deceived by Trump <laughs> with the whole Iraq visit. It was a bit. It was a bit hyperbolic, don't you think? 
Absolutely. Well, of course, he also dodged the question when you asked, uh, does he usually vote Democrat or Republican? So I suspected as much. However, um, no, I think uh, it it was just a coincidence or a matter of convenience because of the secrecy that was required for a trip like that, as as is usual. And then uh, he just used it at that same time to play them and he gained them. But it does expose them in their fake news endeavors. So I, I did like that a lot. And in fact, he, d- he did a double whammy because when it came out that they were trying to say, well, we shamed him into doing a visit. Then he right. said, whoa, no, the visit was planned. Right. So. Right. I mean, this is incredible, isn't it? You had this, I can't remember the woman's name now, Soledad O'Brien or, or someone like that who was on Twitter crowing about, oh, we shamed President Trump into going uh, to visit the troops. Like, Trump wasn't reading your Twitter and then decided about 10 minutes later, let's get to Joint Base Andrews and take Air Force One over to Iraq. These things take between 6 and 12 weeks planning, especially for something in a combat zone um, so very sensitive. And, uh, yeah, they've made themselves out to be quite foolish over this Christmas period, haven't they, Kenny? Absolutely. Well, and I just I just wanted to add one other thing is when there's a term that they use, what about ism? Remember this? What about ism? Oh, yes. Or what about a All right. Well, well, what what about ism is not even a word. What they're talking about when what about ism, they're referring to history, recent history. So when Mm. they're saying ignore what about ism, they're saying ignore recent history. So that's really what they're, uh, you know what I mean? You know, that's a really good point. It's a very good point. When they say don't compare these two incidents. It's them trying, it's them running interference. You're absolutely right, Kenny. Thank you so much for that call. Uh, we are going to go to a break now because when we come back, I do want to get to more callers, but we also have uh, a couple more guests in this hour that I, uh, that I wanted to bring to you, including my good buddy uh, from American Majority, Ned Ryan. He'll be joining us to talk about uh, the extended partial maybe kind of furlough shutdown thing that's going on here in Washington, D.C. All I can say is Washington, D.C. has been a very, very pleasant place this last week. And it's because a lot of these people have left town and it's because a lot of these federal workers are not milling about all over the place. The majority of them being Democrats. I'll have you know. Thank you very much, Washington Post. Um, If you didn't hear me in the first hour correcting the Washington Post on their claim that President Trump said that these uh, uh, majority of the federal workers are Democrats. They are indeed, and we know it for a fact. All right, quick break. We'll be right back here on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam, broadcasting live from the Freedom Hut here in Washington, D.C. I like these action-packed shows. Lots of calls on the boards. The phone number here, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. If you are against me, if you are with me, against any of our guests, I want you to call in. We can have a grown-up discussion. I'm not going to scream and shout at you unless you really push my buttons. Um, but speaking of somebody who might scream and shout at me if I, uh, if I don't let him get back to his dinner soon, Ned Ryan, the uh, founder and CEO of American Majority, joins us on the line now. Ned, good evening. Good to be with you, man. Am I keeping you from dinner, Ned? No, I've already had dinner. You okay, know, you Just keep me from a nice, relaxing evening with my wife in front of the fire, but I'm here. Let's go. Well, Ned, I just want to tell the listeners, Ned took me, uh, took me shooting in his backyard the other day, and I got so much 
uh, hatred on social media, Ned, from from my really? British followers. Yeah, because they are so squeamish about guns. Even the conservatives in the UK are so squeamish about guns. And 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 if you you know insert a, an animal into that process, well, then they just lose their minds totally. Uh, so I had to defend the Second Amendment all day. Uh, the day after I saw you and, and the next day on my Instagram feed, they were absolutely losing their minds. But I want to thank you publicly for uh, for letting me uh, uh, shoot some trees in your backyard. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you missed out on some more fun today. I sighted in my red dot on the AR and uh, got the SKS ready to go hunting on uh, Saturday, which wow. hopefully on the other end of it will be a nice big buck uh, that I will enjoy eating. So uh, <laughs> Not, yeah, not Buck Sexton. That's, 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 of course, no, 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 no. Buck Sexton. No. Not near, he wouldn't be nearly as good. He'd probably be stringy. He's got nose. There's a lot of meat on that guy. You seen him recently? Well, that's true. <laughs> I mean, you just have to do a slow cook. But, uh, He's not here to no. defend himself. I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be so mean. The, the next part of fun, though, when you come out is I will take you deer hunting, uh, and we'll knock down a deer, and we'll have some nice, delicious backstrap. Fine by me. In the meantime, I think we have politics to discuss. Um, we've we, we've only got about five minutes in this segment, so I didn't. I mean, we don't need to spend too much time on this anyway. Um, right. But it's, it's but it's worth noting and it's worth sort of assessing where where this might go. I'm talking about the partial government shutdown that now right. looks like it's going to extend into uh, into January with the uh, with the house uh, uh, lifting today and not coming back until was it January two. Uh, I think they get sworn in January 3. Ah, there you go. Uh, but, you know, my, I, I'm of the opinion, Raheem, I've not been shy at all, whether or not beds on TV. Uh, shut it all down. Shut the government down. I, I've encouraged President Trump to shut the southern border down. I mean, these are this is a serious issue that we have to deal with in this country. Mm. Uh, to, to say that we have an immigration system is a joke. It's so broken, I, I wouldn't call it an immigration system. And, and at some point, someone has to stand up and say, we have to actually start questioning what we're doing as a country. And, and quite frankly, Rahima, I've been honest about this too. We got to this point because of an unholy alliance between Democrats and Republicans, Democrats for political power, mm. and quite frankly, Republicans because their corporate donor base, uh, and they're afraid of endangering their reelection campaign funds. And at some point, somebody like a Donald Trump had to say enough of the stupidity. We have to say we've got to fix this. We have to have – we. in what world, Raheem? Does a sovereign nation say we don't have the right to actually secure our borders? And actually ask to, to, to people coming, why are you coming? Right. Where are you coming from? What is your intention of coming here? And are you actually going to be an addition to this country? Are you in the best interest of this country? Or will your, your entrance be detrimental? This is what sovereign nations that are responsible, that, that feel that is a moral obligation to their citizens, these are the things that they actually do. And I think that, that many in Washington, D.C. have been deeply immoral in dealing with this immigration problem. So what do you think is going to happen when they come back? How, how does this get resolved? I mean, the, the Democrats are offering, what, $1.6 billion? Uh, the president wants five point seven. Will he take three? Will he take three and a half? Will the Democrats even go that high? Will they not want to flex some um, obstinate muscle uh, as, 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 as the new House is sworn in? I, I think the, that they are determined and have dug in on resistance. They do not want to give Donald Trump a win, and I know many others have said this and pointed out, 2013, you know, almost every Democrat, I think maybe every Democrat in the Senate voted for, I think it was $46 billion and 700 miles of fence. They just simply, A, refused to give Donald Trump a win, and B, 
this is where how far the Democratic Party has come in the last five years, Raheem. It has been almost entirely captured by the far radical left that, that doesn't want immigration reform, that doesn't want secure borders, they want open borders. And, and Democratic leadership actually has to swear fealty to these, these far left uh, grassroots and donors if they actually want to stay in power. So I think what's probably going to happen, honestly, is I, I think we might be at an impasse, and I think we're still going to be fighting about this coming into the 2020 election. And at that point, we're going to have a very clear, definitive difference between Donald Trump saying we have to have a border wall, we have to have security, and you're going to have somebody far left that's going to be the Democratic presidential nominee saying we want open borders, we want to abolish ICE. And at that point, the American people have to decide, are we going to get serious about this issue or not? Because at some point, there's a train coming down the tracks called reality. And when you look at our broken immigration system, you look at our broken welfare system, all of these things, at some point, we keep on thinking it's not going to hit us. It's going to hit us. And, and, and I'm not really entirely sure what's going to happen to this country unless we make some hard decisions right now. And it's not really rocket science, Raheem. Secure our borders. We're not going to allow everybody in, and at the same time, we're not going to have an open welfare system in which those that are coming across the borders illegally mm. are, are tapping into this, because we saw polls just recently in which over 60% of non-citizens, half of which came here illegally, are on some form of welfare. This is unsustainable it for is. much longer. It is, absolutely. Wow, what a, what a moment to end that sentence, Ned. You were perfectly on time. Ned Ryan, the founder and CEO of American Majority. Check out his work, Google American Majority. That's Ned Ryan. All right, the phone lines are open. We're going to roll through calls, so be on the triggers. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. More of your calls after this break. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam here in the Freedom Hut. Coming back to you guys on the phone lines now, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. want to start with Cynthia in Florida. Cynthia, are you with us? Hi, Raheem. Hey, Cynthia, what's on your mind? I just want to say thank you so much for taking my call. I listen to the show quite often. I'm a big fan of Box and a big fan of yours. And I love listening to the show and your guest hosting. You bring a really cool perspective on current events. So I just wanted to call in and thank you guys for all y'all do for the movement. Well, I appreciate that very much. Cynthia, what have you made of the uh, the last 48 hours in, in media land uh, that we've been discussing uh, on the show so far? Uh, the media has just been ridiculously fake news, worse than they usually are for the last 48 hours. With the whole Trump visiting the troops, it's just ridiculous. Like, they, they're they still keeping it up, even though they're exposed time and time again. I don't know how they think that people are buying this anymore. It doesn't look like people are buying it. Cynthia, thank you very much for the call and for the compliments. I'll pass your best along to the great Buck Sexton as well. Let's uh, let's keep on rolling with calls. Let's go to Paul in Mississippi on line four. Paul, good uh, good evening. Hey, hi. I uh, enjoy your program. I enjoy Buck's program, and wish you merry belated Christmas and happy New Year. Absolutely, merry that. Christmas to you too. Go right ahead. Okay. Uh, one thing I want to say about him signing that cap for the soldiers. He is the commander in chief of the military. Yep. And if he wants to sign a cap, he should be able to without getting all the media and all the Democrats up and roar. And they I, they were really desperate. Okay. They were they were desperate, uh, uh, Paul, weren't they? That that he brought those caps, and therefore there was some kind of political campaign, governmental, military violation. But it turned out, as the pool reporters 
said these were caps that belonged to the soldiers. So why shouldn't they have them signed if they want them signed? Sure. You know, you know, I love our president, and if I would take a bullet instead of him taking a bullet, if need be. Well, Paul, so what does this say to you? It's it's Christmas, right? It's supposed to be the the you know a season uh, a time where we are jolly jolly, but but overtly going to great lengths to be nicer to each other and politer to each other and the media hits the president with this over the last 48 hours i mean i know trump derangement syndrome is a real thing but i thought at least at christmas they would take the foot off the fake news accelerator yeah that's good it's deeply disappointing, but thank you for your call, Paul, in Mississippi. Let's go to Julie in Tennessee on line two. Julie, good evening. Good evening, Raheem. Pleasure to talk to you. Um, I'm going to get right into this whole um, Muslims uh, of America issue that you're... Uh, ah, the Nation of Islam? About. Yeah. Yes, well, we have... What it is is here is the Muslims of America, which is actually a front group for the Jamaat al-Fukra, who yep. is connected to the uh, Sheikh Jelani, yep. who is connected to the murder of Daniel Pearl. Now, oh, you, you know your stuff. Huh? You know your stuff. Well, they're here in, near the TVA. They have a camp near the Tennessee Valley Authority Power Camp, uh, you know, to our, near our power plant, and right behind Fort Campbell. What is that one called? Did you, by the way, uh, did you ever read my book, Julie, called No Go Zones? No, I have not. So, I've been wanting to. I'm so last year I wrote that, and there's an entire chapter on Jamaat al Fukra and the Muslims for America camps, which are in the United States. T- yes. Tell us a little bit more about your experience with that. Well, we hunt, which you need to go deer hunting with your friend. It's mm-hmm. awesome. But we hunt up in that area near the Cumberland City, and we've heard automatic gunfire coming from down in that area where they have their camp. We also had uh, have crossed paths with them uh, in the Cumberland City area, and they do not like they do not like seeing a woman dressed to hunt. <laughs> I can tell you, and um, the the. The situation is when 9-11 happened, they, first of all, they guard their camp with, you know, what weapons, you know, that's... It is very, they are, they are very heavily guarded, aren't they? Yep. Absolutely. So we've never driven by there because it's just probably not prudent. But when we've had to cross paths with them outside of that area, they just, they're, we don't, we don't speak to them. Mm. It's, it's very uncomfortable, but... Because they've not done anything illegal, per se, nothing can be done. And, um, but the location of this camp being about seven miles right along the power lines mm. from the TVA plant, and I used to have, I know where the camp's located, but when you look at the, where the camp is located, right behind Fort Campbell as well, mm. it's kind of curious. Well, and, uh, listen... I'm impressed with your with your working knowledge on the matter, and obviously depressed that that you've got one of these camps right near you. For for those of you who are skeptical about what Julie is saying, just just go away and look at it yourselves. Jamatul Fukra, F U Q R A, and remember that it was only in September of this year uh, that a similar such uh, uh, compound 
in uh, I think it was in New Mexico uh, was was raided. So so just to a lot of people out there, I know Julie, uh, these things can seem outrageous and out there but but the evidence is compiled the fbi is 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 well aware of it and there are plenty of there's plenty of evidence uh behind behind what uh, this group jamaat al-fukra is otherwise known as as muslims for america um so julie i thank you for that call it's it's very actually important to note because we were talking about the nation of islam stuff that there are actually more sort of militant groups than the nation of islam uh, out there, and they are out there in the United States as well. And for those of you that didn't get it, uh, I wrote a book about a lot of this uh, last year. It's called No Go Zones, uh, where I specifically intended to prove, because I've seen it firsthand in Europe, uh, that no go areas are a thing. And and I think I proved it so well that even CNN and MSNBC uh, had me on their programs to discuss my findings. So if you are if you are in the market for some reading material. Uh, feel free to pick up no-go zones. We're going to go to a quick break now, but I want as many of you uh, on the lines as possible. I love these calls today. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Quick break. We'll be joined in a moment by uh, Dr. John Eastman uh, from the Claremont uh, Institute. He's got an interesting story uh, to tell you guys. But for now, we're going to pay some bills. Welcome back. It's the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam filling in for Buck today. I think this is my third or fourth time doing this, something like that. I feel like we're making, I feel like I'm making connection with you guys. Some great calls today. I really appreciate them. Lines are open. 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-2825. I want to hear from as many of you as possible. How have two hours nearly gone of this show already? Doesn't feel like it, but those are the best shows. Quick paced and lots of content. Line three, I think we have Charlie from Boston uh, on the line with something to say. Charlie, you with us? I'm right here. Hey, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Raheem. I've, I've got an idea for President Trump. Go ahead. What to do with all these uh, immigrants that the Democrats uh, insist on allowing in illegally? I think. President Trump should provide them all free transportation directly to the precincts and counties where these rich Democrats live in their gated communities and uh, drop them right off. Uh, Broward County comes to mind, uh, Palm Beach County, Nassau County, uh, where Hillary lives, uh, uh, you know, San Francisco, uh, Calorama, Chester County in New York, Calorama neighborhood in Washington, D.C., you know, just you know, instead of instead of letting them all come to the to the the poor and working class communities and flooding them into those communities, let these Democrats that are so unwilling to secure the border let them put them up. It's a very um, it's a very interesting point about you know I don't think anybody's under the um, misconception that you are going to stop every single illegal crossing into the United States because some are not just over the border. Some are overstayers. Some are uh, on, on, on by different methods of transportation. So what do you do when people do either qualify for some level uh, of, of refugee status or asylum status or amnesty or whatever it is? Uh, at the moment, you're saying, Charlie, that the, the how, these housing developments 
or the houses that they're, that they're put in, the places that they're put in, tend to be quite far removed from the political and cultural elite. And there's obviously uh, a major reason for that. But it's, it's interesting because you look at somewhere like London, for instance, now, which has experienced a massive amount of both legal and illegal immigration over the last decade or so. And you've got a situation there now where po- politicians, leading cabinet members, are being attacked on the street. Now, it's not always by migrants. Some of it is, is, is homegrown criminality too. But there can be no doubting that there is a dovetailing of high levels of immigration to areas and increases in crime. Drug crime, violent crime, uh, w- w- burglary, uh, carjackings, knifings, and of course terrorist attacks too. In fact, I was reading about this just this morning, Charlie. The Germans have finally uh, acknowledged something that I was warning for so very long, that w- along with this massive immigration that came into Europe in 2015, there has been massive rises in crime across those neighborhoods. And you're saying, let it go to the Democrat counties. Absolutely. Well, Charlie, and I'm only I th- talking about the people that are here illegally. Yeah, nothing to say about uh, and and no qualms about legal immigration whatsoever. Mm. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm frankly I'm a social liberal. Mm. But uh, the people that are that that are coming here uh, illegally that the Democrats insist on allowing in, mm. just bust them right into Westchester County. It's a it's a it's a great idea. I hope President Trump is listening. Charlie from Boston there. Uh, with some ideas on what to do with the uh, what to do with the hordes of illegal immigrants. Did I sorry? Did I just dehumanize them by saying hordes? Is that is that not allowed now? And was I too uh, uh, insensitive there? I think it's a, a I think it's a very good point. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. President. I like that, by the way, Mr. Producer. I encourage that. Anytime you just wanna wanna throw something at me, keep me on my toes. Uh, happy happy to have it happen. Um, so. We've talked so far today about the uh, uh, the fake news. We've talked about the, gosh, we've talked about uh, the government shutdown. So many other things. I, I really commend that story for uh, to you guys from Alana Goodman over at the Washington Examiner, by the way, because I bet you if the Nation of Islam is able to get four hundred thousand, nearly four hundred thousand uh, dollars out of the uh, Bureau for Prisons, uh, then many other uh, uh, unpalatable, shall we say, uh, groups. Uh, will also be in that list and actually we discussed the story last night and I suggested to her that she might go back and FOIA uh, the prison's bureau and say right I want a full list of everyone that you guys give money to but as as you know they seem to shred the contracts after a certain amount of time which is utterly bizarre to me I wanted to bring you as well a um an interview with Dr. John Eastman, but we've had a little bit of trouble getting a hold of him on his end. Uh, he's a uh, he's a professor at the Claremont Institute, and and um, I guess I guess cards on the table. I'm also a fellow at the Claremont Institute. It's a fantastic organization, uh, but they are filing a complaint in the fe- well, they have filed a complaint in the federal district court uh, on November the 28th on behalf of the Pasadena Republican Club. Uh, because in 2017, uh, the Pasadena Republican Club contracted with the Western Justice Center for the rental. I'm just reading here from their, from an article in the uh, in the Pasadena Independent, uh, for the rental of the Maxwell House in Pasadena to hold an event 
at which Dr. John Eastman was to be a speaker. Now, this happens a lot. And I know you guys out there have these same problems. And in the next hour, I'm going to bring you an interview with a young lady who's had similar problems with political discrimination. It's a story that was breaking over the course of today. You may have seen it on Twitter, but I will, uh, I will spare you the details now just as a little bit of a teaser uh, for you. So Dr. John Eastman was going to be the speaker. And less than two hours before the event, the executive director of the Western Justice Center who was a retired L.A. Superior Court judge, Judith Cherlin, sent an email to the president of the Pasadena Republican Club, canceled the event two hours before. Now, they've done events at this venue previously, uh, I understand. Um, But Judge Cherlin, retired Judge Cherlin, I should say, said that Dr. Eastman, a very well-renowned professor, by the way, was unacceptable as a speaker because of his leadership position in a faith-based organization that promotes traditional marriage. It's the National Organization for Marriage. Um, And Judge Cherlin, retired Judge Cherlin, disagreed with Dr. Eastman and his political and religious views, and so the Western Justice Center banned the Pasadena Republican Club, from from holding its event. That's the allegation made in this new complaint on political and religious discrimination by the Claremont Institute. Uh, there are other groups, other political groups, uh, that still meet at the Western Justice Center, so this was a particular problem they had with uh, the National Organization for Marriage and Dr. John Eastman. Now, you see it happening in real life, in person, in places like that, you obviously see it happening on social media too. Mass bannings, blockings. I can't, for instance, promote very much on my Facebook page anymore. They don't let me um, just block things all the time. Patreon, which is a donor platform, which I rely on for, for a significant part of, of, of my income. In case you don't know, I do a daily Raheem rant, um, which works out at about 16 cents a rant on there. They're kicking conservatives off. On mass, so I really wanted to bring you the story from Dr. John Eastman himself, but unfortunately, we weren't able to get a hold of him. So I thought I'd walk you through it anyway, and I hope I did the uh, did the story justice uh, there. But it's good that institutions like Claremont exist and take the fight back to the political left on this stuff. Right, this is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Ghassan. We're going to go to a quick break now. When we come back, more great interviews, and I hope more of your calls. The Global Verification Network, the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigations and vetting company. You can find them at mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. Federally certified as a veteran-owned small business and independently certified by the National Veteran Business Development Council, the only minority spend certification recognized by the Billion Dollar Roundtable. Headquartered in Chicago with offices throughout the nation, they are risk mitigation experts and work with startups all the way up to Fortune 100s. No data or client information is ever offshored and all employees are located throughout the United States. So again, Global Verification Network, the veteran-owned background investigations and vetting company. Go to mygvn.com. Welcome back. 
This is the Buck Sexton Show. My name is Raheem Kassam, filling in for Buck Sexton today, broadcasting live from the Freedom Hut here in Washington, D.C. I want to take as many of your guys' calls over the last, how is it the last hour already? I could just do this all day. I love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> the phone number here is 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. You do not have to agree with me or agree with Buck or agree with each other or even agree with yourself. Uh, that's what political discourse is all about, and we want to have it here on the Buck Sexton Show. I've got a good friend of mine on the line. Terry Schilling is the executive director of the American Principles Project Terry, uh, joining us to discuss what I think is an interesting story in the realms of social conservatism and uh, from the pro-life movement's perspective. Terry, good evening. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Raheem. No, thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your evening uh, to join us here. It's a story which I hope you can help me uh, understand a little bit more, because as you probably know, Terry, in uh, on my side of the pond um, in the United Kingdom, uh, these stories are, you know, the, we what's always said about uh, abortion and is is you know the science is settled. We just we just forget about it now. We just leave the debate where it is, uh, and nothing ever changes. But Ohio, I believe, uh, is changing or at least trying to change several things uh, regarding uh, their abortion laws. Terry, could you tell us, uh, uh, elucidate upon this for us? Yeah, of course. And I just want to say that. You know, I think the reason that the the, the political uh, ramifications of abortion are settled in Great Britain and they're not here is primarily because of how you guys uh, answered that question, which was through the democratic process. Um, here in America, we had literally five, uh, I'm sorry, seven justices um, in black robes determine the abortion laws for the entire country mm. uh, back in 1973. And so... They kind of they tried to remove it from the democratic process and say this is settled for everyone. Um, and us as Americans, we were like, you know, no, we're still having this fight today. Um, and what we've seen over the last forty years, uh, going on fifty almost actually, uh, is rapid advances in uh, our advancements in technology, especially when it comes to healthcare. And we're seeing the faces of these unborn babies. We're seeing their heartbeats. We know when they have fingernails. I mean, we've just gotten so much more information since 1973 when abortion was legalized across the country here. And the states are now starting to recognize that through our laws. And in Ohio, they just passed a fetal heartbeat bill, which basically uh, bans abortion after the point in which a uh, fetal heartbeat can be detected. Um, the reason that's important is because it's all an argument about the personhood of the child, which is what Roe contested. Roe said that the uh, the unborn child was not a person and it was not due to rights, and um, and that's where the left has uh, refused to want to go. And so the, the right now, especially in Ohio, is they're trying to uh, ban abortion at the point in which there can be a fetal heartbeat detected because they say that's when personhood begins. So what um I understand that this is being challenged at several levels well, there there are there are two different bills you have to explain this one to me Yeah so uh back um earlier this year um I think it was just in November uh the state legislature of Ohio passed um a fetal heartbeat uh ban uh, on abortion uh and sent it to the governor's desk and governor Kasich 
actually vetoed that bill. And so today they had two votes in the state legislature in Ohio uh, to uh, override the governor's veto. Mm. Um, and they managed to, to override the governor's veto in the House, but in the Senate, uh, they actually got uh, shut down. They lost by one vote. And it was one guy, uh, State Senator Bill Beagle, who flipped, who was with the pro-life side before the the, the overturn happened. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was kind of a betrayal on his part. So what what actually is changing in Ohio? Uh, nothing as, at the moment. I mean, they've, they've, they've done some more restrictions on abortion. Uh, they've, they've banned uh, uh, D&E. Abortions, which is a really gruesome uh, procedure, where yes. they, it's a, it's mostly for late term abortions, where they dismember. That's what the D stands for. Uh, yes. Is they dismember the child piece by piece and pull it out. And so Ohio banned that procedure, yes. um, and um, uh, Governor Kasich vetoed the heartbeat bill. Well, so uh, Governor Kasich, to, to my understanding of this says that, you know, this isn't going to be held up by a Supreme Court in, if there's a Supreme Court challenge to this anyway. So I'm just here trying to save Ohioans' uh, money. Do, I mean, do you buy that? Saving the money? I mean, no, I, I think, look, I think that when you're a legislator, uh, you have a different job to do than a justice. And that that job is to legislate according to what you believe the Constitution uh, should do, and it's not our role as legislators or as governors to determine what's going to be upheld constitutional or mm. unconstitutional by the court. This is what the people sent their state representatives uh, to uh, Columbus to do: was to vote for these types of legislation. Um, they don't really care about what the Supreme Court says right now. What they are wanting to do is tell the Supreme Court, tell the nation that. Ohio is against abortion after the point in which a fetal heartbeat can be, you know, detected, mm. and then let you know let John Roberts and 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 let let those guys make their decision. But from my standpoint, I think that you know, as a citizen and as an American, I have to go with what my personal beliefs are, and I can't try and make my my decisions and my choices off of what everyone else is going to believe and say and do. So just just finally, Terry, before uh, before we got to go to a break, uh, do you think this uh, moves anything outside of Ohio? Is any is this going to aid uh, any uh, any other uh, legislatures in in making similar uh, changes or trying to make similar changes? Yeah. So I I, I want to be I want to be clear. This was actually the second time that Kasich had vetoed a heartbeat bill. Um, he had done it before with the same justification that this would be uh, overturned at the Supreme Court. Mm. Look, I think that everything across the entire country is changing on this issue. I think that we now have a slightly pro-life majority on the Supreme Court. I'd like to get it to uh, to six or seven. But I, I think that things across the country are changing on this. Americans are pro-life. Donald Trump ran as a pro-life president and he won, and I think it had a lot to do with his defeat of Hillary. Well, that's Terry Schilling, the executive director of the American Principles Project. Uh, Terry, just tell the uh, tell the audience where they can find out more about uh, your work. Oh, yeah. The, it's AmericanPrinciplesProject.com 
or appfdc.org. Uh, we fight on the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Um, if it's in the Constitution, we're probably working on the issue. And and just for my amusement, tell them your Twitter handle. <laughs> it's Pizza Politico. Uh, I, uh, I I come from a long line of uh, pizza restaurateurs, and so uh, my two passions in life are pizza and politics. Terry, I've seen you. You come from a long line of pizza eaters. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Schilling, thank you so much for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show. We're going to go to a quick break now, but I, uh, I want to get you guys on the lines as well. Uh, 1-844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Quick break now, then more of your calls, more interviews. We're going to cram it all in. We'll be right back. back to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam filling in for Buck Sexton today, live out of the Washington, D.C. Freedom Hut. Uh, I want to get to more callers in the next segment, so hang on the lines, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. But at the very last... Uh, minute this uh, this evening before the show or midway through the show, in fact, uh, I like to uh, I like to mix it up, keep myself on my toes. Uh, I decided to um, have on our next guest uh, because of a story that's been uh, breaking really over social media uh, across today. Um, I confess, uh, she's a friend of mine, uh, so I want to. Uh, I want to caveat it with that, but but it's also another one of those stories that um, plays into what we were discussing earlier on about conservatives being banned from life, effectively, uh, whether it's a, a Republican club being banned from hosting a, a speaker, uh, whether it's on social media. Uh, now, I'd like to introduce you to uh, a former Fox uh, News producer, Perda Sala. Uh, Pertus, are you on the line? Yes. Okay, Pertus, hey. uh, I think you should talk us through what exactly has been uh, going on with you. This isn't just this hasn't just happened today. You've experienced this over some time, right? But but today the story really uh, uh, came out. I'm dodging around it because I want you to uh, I want you to lay it all out for us. Okay, thanks. Um... So the past couple of days, I was looking for an apartment to rent in. Um, I, you know, I live in D.C. already. I've been living here for over two years, but I wanted to downsize and get roommates to save on to save money on rent, and I wanted to stay in the same area that I live in. And so I was, you know, surfing through the web, Facebook, Craigslist, uh, Zillow, so and looking looking for a room. In, in an apartment um, since yesterday when I started, I was rejected by two um, but I, I was rejected by two places that I applied for and one of them sent me back an email. The first one was yesterday over the phone. I was told that um, they wouldn't be uh, accepting any roommates who are either Trump supporters or, or fans of Fox News um, and of course I told them, you know, I told them that I worked there. So they were like, uh, no way, whatever. But then today, um, I got the, I received an email, I received it in writing and, um, it was their, their response was, well, thanks for applying, but you know, or you're, we, we we can't have someone with their political views like you're, they're really opposed to ours and 
Uh, we hate Fox, by the way. Um, good luck with your search. <laughs> so, yeah, I, um, I, you know, I, I posted a screenshot of email. Of course, I, um, I wiped out like their, I blotched out their names and yeah. uh, ID for the the ad on, uh, you know, the, the the ad that they had online. Um, but definitely something that I was experiencing lately, and uh, not just with apartments, but this is with with the housing. It's, so I, I just I'll read I'll read the I'll read the response that you got uh, out for the uh, for the audience here. So you applied for this apartment uh, and you've had this experience before, uh, and they responded, "Thank you for your interest, Perdis. After perusing your various journalistic and social media posts, it's pretty clear your politics views, <laughs> okay, are diametri- diametrically opposed to ours, and we hate Fox. Hopefully, you will find a place where that will be a good fit." Now, you've also said that, uh, you know, you don't intend to uh, sue or punish anybody or out them uh, for not renting uh, you a room. That's obviously, it's it's their house and they have, I suppose, the right to be as bigoted as they want. But but somebody yeah. else, a mutual friend of ours, Ezra Levant, over at the uh, the Rebel Media, pointed this out on Twitter uh, earlier. He said, if, if you were on the political left and this had happened to you and you were on the political left, you'd be on CNN right now. The SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and the ADL would be suing in your name. The landlord would be named and shamed. Let's face it, their their face would be out there, their phone number would be out there, their email address would be out there. Um, they wouldn't have been blocked, uh, redacted from from the uh, the email that they sent. And uh, you know, they you would have a massive GoFundMe account with probably hundreds of thousands of dollars already in it, where you could probably buy a house in Calorama, let alone worry about renting one. Now, I know you do have. A GoFundMe uh, to help you out in this uh, at the moment, and I'm pleased to say that over the last, I think it's been up for like three hours, and it's already raised seven hundred and five dollars out of the thousand dollar goal. But I mean, are we are we playing? Why do we play fair when they don't play fair? Why shouldn't we out these people, Perdis? Um, I mean, a lot of people have said that. Why, you know, why are you? They would do the same exact thing to you if you were progressive and you were saying and you were and you were saying, well, they're discriminating against me because of my the color of my skin. You know, I'm brown and I'm the child of of Middle Eastern refugees. You know, I could I uh, if, if if that was my story, I mean, if, if that was the story that I presented to them, then I right. would get dis- discriminated. Uh, then I then you know I I, I would sue them and, and get them in trouble or whatever. Um, but, I mean, that it always angers me when I see people do that on the left, always. And, I, and it, it feels like, it feels disingenuous. Um, I mean, well, I is. guess because it's, because it's there, because, because it's like fair game, so why, you know, because it's there, then why not? But it still makes me annoyed. Uh, I think that people should be able to um, people should be able to refuse service to other people. I mean, this couple that this uh, be, be these two guys who actually were like, uh, I mean, the, the guy who who sent me this email, um, they're like they're gay. So you know, I wouldn't I um, the same way that I think that they should be able to um, refuse their grooming their housing to people that they don't like people should be able to refuse service to 
you know, like a any, baker. Any, anyone? Yeah. Well, you and you probably have to bake them a cake now, don't you, to apologize for applying for a room in their in their house. <laughs> That's, I think that's the penalty. Perdes, I just wanted, I wanted to bring that story to the audience because it's breaking over the course of the day. Tell the audience where they, can, um, where they can catch up with you, your work, how they can support you. Um, you can find me on Twitter um, at Pardesella, P-A-R-D-E-S-S-E-L-E-H. Perdes is, uh, is she's being very humble. She's actually a bit of a Twitter yeah. celebrity. Um, with nearly, I think, 50,000 followers now. So, yeah, go and, uh, go and follow her, support her work uh, in any way you can. Pertis, thanks for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show and talking us through that. Um, thanks, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Right, phone lines. Do you think that's right or wrong? Do you think she should out them or not? 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. I also want to get to the other callers who I know are waiting on the line uh as well let's uh let's get to quint from springfield on line two quint are you there with me hey, how, you, how you doing i'm good how are you pretty good the, uh, right ahead. I, I used to work work at a correctional facility in the northeast here in mm. uh, a pretty liberal state and uh you know it was, it was a good job and a good facility great facility they try to rehabilitate everybody mm. and uh you know and they've been you know they would accommodate for all religions Everyone could have their own, you know, uh, mass, you know, Catholic mass, uh, Muslim, Islamic, or, uh, you know, what, what a Protestant, whatever it might be yeah. to accommodate. But it, it became, uh, you know, to a point where, like, like you know, nothing against Ramadan or anything, but they would, they would bend over backwards for the, the Islamic um, traditions mm. to the point where they, it started to kind of breach security protocol. You know, like we couldn't even touch their meals or anything, or even look at them or things like that. Hmm. So it kind of started to breach like security. Hey, hey, Quint, hang on the line. Don't go anywhere. We've got a, we've got a hard break now, but hang on the line. I want to bring you back after the break, and and you can tell us more about this because I'm genuinely fascinated by it. This is the Buck Sexton Show, and if you want to have your say as well, eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. I'm Raheem Kassam. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Raheem Kassam here filling in for Buck today out of the Washington, D.C. Freedom Hut. I'm hoping we still have Quint on the line uh, from uh, from Massachusetts. Quint, are you with us? Yes, sir. Hey, sorry about that earlier. We we're up against a hard break, but I'm glad we, I'm glad we kept you over. You were saying uh, that, that where, where you worked in the, uh, in, in the prison system, uh, that Islam was treated with kid gloves. Is that right? You know, it, to the point where it it, 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 it it almost like breached security protocol, and and the, the, the kind of the um, the uh, hypocritical thing was they they had us do classes on not only the gangs and things like that and, and mm. their, their situations, but like the, the the radical Islam and and the radicalization, you know, for terrorism through this prison system, and they harped on it. I mean, they said, look out for this, keep an eye on it, and we did. You know, it, it wasn't too prevalent or anything but i mean this area i think they've even some of the uh some of the people involved in 9-11 came through here through the, the area i live in you know in this in the northeast here yeah and um so you know i, I would i'd pay attention and there was one inmate he was uh a muslim or practice islam and he um he was kind of a challenging inmate he would challenge me in particular and you know i would i would treat him with respect and everything but uh, when he was released to uh, lower security, he uh, left behind uh, some shoes that 
had Islam Arabic writing on it, and I noticed the word jihad on it. Mm. I don't know if uh, I didn't know how exactly what it said or anything like that. Mm. But I said, okay, you know, and it was like left it as a message, you know, and I don't know exactly what it said, but I reported it and I I turned them in and you know, you know, I asked like a week later, I said, hey, what happened today? And they said, ah, oh, we lost the shoes, you know, you know. I said, oh. I said, well, you guys are telling me to you know keep an eye on this stuff, you know, they kind of like. Maybe the guy wasn't it wasn't a serious thing or anything, but you know they kind of like definitely like you said the the you know with mittens you know they're treating them with you know they definitely wouldn't really deal with the situation even though they were aware of it you know. It's very interesting because you seem to be experiencing now in the United States something that that we went through in the United Kingdom uh, about a decade ago with this. Uh, we have had typically a massive uh, Muslim population, way way outstripping the number of um, Muslims in, in, in you know, wider society as a percentage of the population um, in, in the prison system in the United Kingdom. And, of course, uh, there, was a, there was a report into this a couple of years ago where they found that actually a massive, statistically high uh, incidence of uh, criminal non-Muslims were converting to Islam in the prison system as well. And this links back to the story we were discussing with our friend Alana Goodman at the Washington Examiner earlier. Um, the the uh, chaplains, the Muslim chaplains, are given far more um, leeway uh, than any other religion. But also, I, I want to quote for you here, I just pulled it up, this uh, chief inspector of prisons in the United Kingdom, Dame Anne Owens. She said that people are converting to Islam in prisons in the United Kingdom because they seek uh, support and protection in a group with a powerful identity. Uh, they perceive uh, material advantages of identifying as Muslim in prison, including material benefits only available to Muslims, such as more time out of their cell and better food during Ramadan if they become Muslim. Is that something, Quint, that you experienced? Oh, right on the money. These guys, they would, they didn't care about the religion at all, but they would claim it and they'd get the extra meals and they still ask for extra meals, you know. I mean, they yeah. really did have no respect for religion at all, and they would accommodate them, you know. And I, we knew it; we knew they were abusing it, and uh, it was just a it's, a, it's a, it's you know, turning the other cheek. Same yeah. thing with the Boston bombers, you know, Sar- uh, the Sarkaya uh, brothers. Mm. They, 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 you know, these guys got a free pass, a free pass. It's extraordinary you stuff, and I think requires a lot more investigation. I wish, uh, I wish there were real, so many real news agencies out there that they would get onto it. But certainly, uh, there should be enough um, on our side of that debate um, that more of this information comes to light. As I said to an earlier caller, Quint, I tried to do my uh, part in investigating uh, what was going on with radical Islam in Europe and the United States in my book last year, No Go Zones. Um, but but there is so much more uh, than, than just a single book can deal with, and and you know it's uh, it's a brutal task because of course when you when you try and figure out what's going on, uh, you're labelled an Islamophobe and a hater and a racist and a xenophobe and all that kind of stuff, and it's really quite extraordinary when you think about it because effectively what the critics are saying then is that that terrorism is inextricably Islamic. Right, they're they're saying to you that those two things are inseparable, that they're inseparable, and that by criticizing one, you are necessarily criticizing the other, and so on and so forth. Look, I came from a Muslim family. I haven't been a Muslim for about well over ten years now, but I know I know what goes on in that faith. I know what goes on in those mosques. I know what goes on uh, in civil society within uh, Muslim organizations. And for the most part, Muslims who emigrate into the Western world 
don't want to be a part of anything fundamentalist or radical, um, but they they are not helped by these leftists, liberals, and progressives who treat radical Islam with kid gloves. Quint. Yeah, they're, they're hypocrites. Sharia law, you know, the abuse of the women and things like that. And then, and then, and then on the other hand, they say, oh, that's okay. You know, that's okay. And they fought this hard for women's rights and things like that. And then they want to turn a, you know, turn a cheek to these guys, you know? Right. Absolutely. All right, Quinn, that's a great call. Thank you so much for it here on the Buck Sexton Show. The phone number here is 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. I think, uh, I think it's break time for us, uh, and then we'll be right back. We've got, I'm going to bring you some, uh, some update on Brexit. I know a lot of you are interested in what's going on with Brexit. Brexit and the election of President Trump in 2016 were inextricably linked, as you know. Uh, the rebellion, the fight back between two sovereign peoples uh, against, I suppose, what you would call the rise of the bureaucratic or administrative state. Uh, my friend Ben Harris-Quinney, he's the chairman of the oldest conservative think tank in the United Kingdom. He's staying up very late in the UK. I think it's about one forty-five in the morning, uh, so he can join us on the show in just a moment. So quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Final moments here of the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam in for Buck Sexton. From the Freedom Hut here in Washington, D.C., headline jumped out at me over the break. Transgender inmate gets rare transfer to female prison. just want to read this to you. A transgender woman serving a 10-year sentence in Illinois for burglary has been moved from a men's to a women's prison in what is a rare accommodation by state prison authorities, her lawyers announced Thursday. Her, her lawyers announced Thursday, apparently. Uh, Dion Hampton, otherwise known as Strawberry, 27, was moved after a year-long legal battle and resistance from the Illinois Department of Corrections. Well, it's going to work out well. All right, we are, uh, we are in the final stages here today. I get sad every time it's, uh, it's the, the end of the show. I want to take a quick call from Patrick in New York State on line one, then jump over to Ben Harris-Quinney. Patrick, you with us? Hello? Hey, Patrick, how's it going? Good, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, good, go right ahead. Uh, well, with the uh, the last uh, caller that you had, um, uh, seeing that he got duped or felt duped by uh, President Trump, um, me personally, I'm I'm not a Trump fan whatsoever. However, mm. I I do see um, that he was trying to make a joke, and I think that you know people are taking everything way too seriously these days. Um, I think you're right, too seriously and too literally as well, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you um, you know, I, I follow. I watch all the different um, uh, news channels, the mainstream. I, I, I watch the right, the left, everything, just to see what everybody's saying. And it, it, it seems that everybody takes every single thing just way too seriously, and then they throw it. I mean, <laughs> just, just just they, they try to make it the worst-case scenario possible. We're all in the mood for outrage all the time, Patrick. All the, Exactly. Well, I'm glad you're not. I'm glad you're more level-headed. I try and stay the same way. Um, Patrick, in New York State, thank you so much for the call here on the Buck Sexton Show. I want to pivot now to my friend Ben Harris-Quinney, the chairman of the oldest and sadly probably the only conservative think tank in the United Kingdom. Ben, good evening. Good morning for you, I guess. Uh, well, no, it's, it's, it's the early hours. I consider it nighttime still, so good to be with you. No, it's what it's one forty-five in the morning, is it not? Well, technically you're right, but <laughs> I, I am being literal. Be I am right. being literal about yeah. it. 
Um, ben, I wanted to have you on because a lot of uh, a lot of I know a lot of uh, our friends in the United States. They often ask me. In fact, it's the first question anyone ever asks me: is what's going on with Brexit? And it's become such a painful thing to have to answer. So instead of answering that question myself, I'm going to throw it over to you. Uh, what is going on with Britain leaving the European Union? I thought I thought we were out. What happened? What's happening? Well, it's fair to say that very few people in the United Kingdom understand what is going on with Brexit. So um, <laughs> I hope you're one of them. I, though. I don't think that. Uh, uh, well, sort of is the answer. <laughs> um, thing, things have progressed in the last few weeks. We've gone from a position where there could have been a number of potential deals to a situation where it is either. May's proposal, which is not leaving the European Union at that's all. The pro- really. That's the Prime Minister's um, proposal. Or, or what is, yeah, or what is termed a no-deal scenario uh, where all ties are automatically severed on our exit date, March 29th, um, and we fall out under World Trade Organization rules um, and have to remake all of our relationships with the world and the EU from there, and that's I just, really I just, most Brexiteers. Yeah, I just want to. I just want to reset on that for people who don't quite understand what the what, what the deal means. So, so leaving, uh, contrary to what you might think, uh, when Britain voted to leave the European Union on June twenty third, twenty sixteen, uh, we didn't actually then leave. We uh, enacted uh, something called Article fifty, which is a a part of. A, our treaty with the European Union that is a mechanism by which a nation is supposed to be able to leave. And it's effectively a, a two-year-long leaving process. And I can already, I can hear the eyes rolling in the collective heads of Americans listening to this. Um, but, but it sort of makes sense because there are so many things that are, are, are so intertwined, whether it's scientific research or uh, passporting, financial services, regulatory stuff, judicial stuff. Um, it sort of makes sense that you do that. But Ben, as you were saying, we haven't really got anywhere with the, the post-Article 50 negotiations, but we do leave nevertheless on March the 29th next year. Well, that's the crucial thing, and that's what uh, our senior patron and senior member of Parliament, John Redwood, ensured was on the legislation that the date is fixed, that March 29th date is fixed. Mm. We, of course, had a, have a prime minister that supported Remain. Uh, we have a cabinet, a government that largely supported Remain, and we have a parliament that is largely uh, also made up of Remain supporters. So they have been the ones that have been handling the Article 50 process, the two-year process that you mentioned. Uh, and, of course, they've decided amongst themselves that it would be a good thing for us to more or less continue to be a member of the European Union. Mm. Mm. What a few backbench uh, MPs and other campaigners like Nigel Farage outside of Parliament have said is that is not the Brexit we voted for. And so when that March 29th deadline comes up, it's game over. If you haven't managed to come up with a deal that satisfies the British public, then we simply automatically leave under this no-deal scenario. And as I say, that is now the best-case scenario for those uh, who support Brexit, um, and that's what we are now all preparing for. And for American listeners, that's actually very good news when it comes to doing a trade deal 
with the United States because it leaves the door wide open with absolutely no restrictions. Um, whereas what the, the deal May is proposing would mean that we, we probably couldn't sign the kind of deal that Donald Trump is, is proposing. Yeah, and that's a, that's actually a big deal. It's not an insignificant amount of money we're talking about here with the trade that takes place between the United Kingdom and the United States. Um, this would be a big boon uh, to President Trump, and it would be a massive shot in the arm for a British economy that, that needs uh, uh, strategic financial uh, alliances when, when leaving, although the fastest shrinking or the slowest growing trading block in the world, still a, a big trading block. Um, so I, I can't. Yeah. I, go ahead. The, the no deal scenario is basically hitting the reset button on all of our trade deals throughout the world, which uh, is going to mean choppy waters. But it also means a fantastic opportunity. And we are one of the leading trade partners with the United States. But I think the point is actually the potential that we have to become the, uh, each other's preeminent trading partners. And f- and for that current multi-billion dollar trade relationship to turn into a multi-trillion dollar trade relationship over the next decade. And I think that is absolutely possible. And we're very fortunate to have a president in Donald Trump that wants to put us to the front of the queue rather than, uh, as Barack Obama said, to the back. Yeah, that was uh, that was an extraordinary moment for those of you who don't remember. Uh, president Obama flew to London and and threatened the United Kingdom that they must that we must vote to stay in the European Union because uh, one of the things that would happen if we didn't was we wouldn't have preferential treatment for a trade deal uh, with the United States. And and uh, to their credit, actually, it wasn't just Donald Trump uh, throughout the 2015, 16 uh, primaries and, and the campaigns over here in the U.S., I think Jeb Bush, uh, Ted Cruz, uh, Donald Trump, and some of the other Republican candidates said, well, 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 that's not right. You know, we share a bond with the United Kingdom, and, and we want to continue being uh, uh, friends and allies and, and so on and so forth. And they came out and said, uh, you know, Obama's uh, pontifications on this are not relevant. He will not be president uh, in, in, at a time when that will be a thing that needs negotiating. So that's just another reason... Uh, I am very happy that we don't have uh, a Democrat in the White House uh, at the moment because I think that would have been quite quite uh, bad for Brexit. And, you know, the Brexit spirit, yeah, we, we, know, we know what the original Brexit was, Ben. It was in 1776. Well, you could argue that there was one uh, before that uh, when we, we left the, the Catholic Church and formed the Church of England. But nonetheless, I think the, the sad thing is... Yeah, we don't like that. So we right. in the United Kingdom... In, are not taking advantage of um, the the friendship that Donald Trump has offered us. Yeah. Um, I think we've given him the cold, from, from a from a UK government point of view, we've really given him the cold shoulder. Ben, that's um, the music, so we've got to leave it there, unfortunately. But that's Ben Harris Quinney, the chairman of the Bow Group. Uh, you can find them at Bow Group, B O W Group dot org. And that's it. That's the show. I've been Raheem Kassam filling in here for Buck Sexton. Harlan Hill will be here tomorrow. If you want to follow me, find me on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, at Raheem Kassam. This has been the Buck Sexton Show live from the Freedom Hut. I hope I get to speak to you again soon.